Episode 64 of The Passive Hang. Today, we are joined by Rod Cooper, who is the founder of The Movement Collective, a movement gym based in Newcastle, Australia. The Movement Collective, very special space. I went there for the first time a few years ago, and that's where I met Rod for the first time as well, and he is also a very special person. Someone who always leaves you feeling elevated, inspired. And it's the same when you go to the Movement Collective as well. It's a very big open space, very playful space. You can always talk about how important community is. And at the Movement Collective, there's a very big community, a very engaged community, and one that is supremely welcoming when you walk through those doors. Today, we're gonna talk more about Rod and his own practice, how he structures his practice. What are his recent learnings that he's applying to his own programming and practice? Hopefully there's some helpful insights for you to apply to your own practice as well. Hope you guys enjoy, we're gonna get stuck in. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 64. I have finally got Rod Cooper on the podcast, which is amazing. He is the owner of the Movement Collective up in Newcastle, Australia. I've been up there before as well. Maybe the first time, what, it was like two years ago. Uh, it was awesome space. And so I've been connected with Rod for a while. We also did a workshop together, Harry Williams workshop in Wollongong. That was also earlier in the year, which was sick. And now I finally got to record a chat with him because we've had many conversations unrecorded. And so, yeah, I get to share his energy with all you guys today. So welcome, Rod. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I apologize for taking so long to, uh, to respond and to actually get this organized, but I'm really excited to get yeah, to jump on with you and have a chat today. I wanted to start with just like maybe one question, which is just in general, like maybe what's one thing that tops that springs to mind that has just got you really excited recently? Well, I'm going to be a dad in 10 weeks. So that is really, yeah, that's front of mind for sure. So yeah, Jenny's 30 weeks pregnant. So we're just, we just moved into a new space here in Newcastle in Mayfield and we're just setting up like the baby room and getting everything all organized for that. So I feel like that's going to be a huge change in our lives and a really exciting one as well. So that's kind of the you know, front of mind. Yeah, amazing, man. This is a special, special time. And, you know, things are next year is going to be, you know, biggest year ever for you. I, oh, I know yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I know that we've just got such good support around us. Like we've got my family, Jenny's family. We've got everyone at TMC as well, all of our close friends who have, I feel like a lot of our close friends have just had kids recently or they've got kids that are like, you know, two and three years old. So we've got tons of support and, you know, we're just really excited to kind of step into this next chapter of our lives. Yeah. Well, I'm still seeing Jenny as well, get down to some classes, doing some handstands as well. So that's always like mind boggling to know that she can still do that whilst with all this extra, you know, weight as well it's uh oh, yeah yeah i don't know how she does it we did a workshop today a beginner's movement workshop and uh she was demonstrating all of the locomotion patterns and she was doing handstands and all this stuff and it's just so crazy the oh yeah the way that she's kind of taken to it and adapted her training accordingly because as you can imagine she's kind of limited with certain positions and ranges and there's certain things that you shouldn't do when you're pregnant and, and moving on to the later stages now as well. She's just, yeah, she's been able to adapt really quick because she was saying that, 
you know, she's been able to do one thing one day and then the next day it's like a no-go. So she then have to like rework her training programs. And I just feel like she's just done so well and, and she's really setting a great example of like keeping moving. I feel like even though you've got limitations and, and restrictions, which she does have, she's not really showing any signs of like stopping or really slowing down, more of like pivoting to a different direction and, and just utilizing what she can do. And I just really admire her for that. She's doing so good. It's amazing how adaptable the human body is. And it's great to, with this sort of style of practice as well, how you can be quite adaptable as well. You know, there's so many different areas to get into, which um, yeah, segues into, I guess, where I just want to jump straight in, which is like for you, Rod, what does your training actually look like right now? Oh, it's a big question. Okay, cool. So yeah, my current training, I've got two days programmed of handstands, mostly working on the one arm. So I've got some prep work. I normally start with like one long handstand hitting anywhere from like one, uh, yeah, one thirty to a bit over two minutes for that first handstand move through some tuck progressions and then all onto one arm progressions for the session. And that takes about an hour and a half, two hours to get through. And within that session, it's more front split focus for the mobility. So I don't know if you train like this as well, but my handstands always been handstand and then some sort of lower body mobility in between. I've changed it recently to add in a little bit more like ATG style uh, knees over toes, like, knee rehab because I had knee surgery at the start of the year. So I've really been focused on getting some function and range and strength back in my left leg because it really atrophied and because I was injured for quite a long time and I was working through it. But yeah, I'm just trying to work that leg back to full range and full strength. So that's the kind of the focus for that, that day. The next day is two days a week is, well, the next session is the stalder session. So I'm working on press to handstand stalders and then the lower body focus for that day would be middle splits and pancake. So variations of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys. Nice. Yeah, although I was just about to comment like that, such a common pairing with the um, handstands with the lower body mobility. You know, that's a way that I've trained as well. Then, well, it's just such a nice mix, right? Like whilst you're resting in the, from the handstand work, you can just still work with the lower body and then just jump straight back into it. You know, I think that was one of the first things I noticed that I was like, Oh, like a lot of people seem to be doing this and it seems to work really well. Like I can't think of like, if it was um, maybe something a bit more strenuous, then you'd feel a bit taxed, maybe going into the handstand as well. Um, I haven't experimented too much with, you know, doing other sort of strength pairings or anything with just like, if you're talking like handstand specific skill work, but um, yeah. Have you ever done it or paired it in a different way? The only thing that's different now is sometimes with the sort of the ATG style stuff, I'm doing like split squats and things like that in between. So it's a little bit more strength-based, not just mobility and flexibility, but because it's the lower body, it still feels good. Like I do my handstand, I do my lower body set, whether it's strength or mobility. And then I go back to the handstand feeling well rested in the shoulders and ready to do another set. So I feel like that pairing has been with me since I started the movement practice. And it it originally came from my programming from Ido and his team. And it was the handstand and the lower body mobility. And I feel, yeah, I've experimented with other stuff, but I don't know if it would work because if you're doing something else, upper body focused, the only other thing would be juggling. And that's kind of, yeah, 
<laughs> I've tried that and because my like skill level isn't quite there yet like I get, get a bit carried away if I pair like one skill with another sort of skill that I'm also trying to overcome and then you end up like juggling for like five or seven minutes oh, and you're, like, yeah. <laughs> you're like that's been a long time All right, I gotta get a handstand again that actually happens oh, it's so funny you say that yeah it happens in the class so sometimes we we put juggling in and it's either a lower body or a, or a full body sort of session. And there's like four exercises they're working through in the strength element right at the end of class and juggling is in the rest. And we say, you know, juggle for like 60 seconds max. And sometimes I'm walking around and I'm like cueing people and have a look. And there's some people like over in the juggling area, like just juggling for like minutes of time. I'm like, hey, you got to move on to the other stuff because this is just like a rest. Like we're not juggling for an hour. Like just come on, let's move on. So it can get like that. You drop the balls and you get so focused on, you know, getting the particular pattern or whatever you're working on that you just kind of, you lose track of time. So yeah. I've got to kind of check in with myself and also with the with the members to say, hey, guys, yeah, this is not the, the main thing right now. Yeah. How strict are you on yourself when you're like timing things and rest timing? Like are you super strict with like a clock or a, a timer that you hold with every single period and you record all that? No, never. Not never. Like I do time, like say I time my handstands, Uh and my mobility is mostly worked on around sets or like reps, mm. sets and reps. It's not so time. So I've never have a metronome going. I never have in my training. I've kind really? of, banned it. yeah, I've kind of banned it from TMC. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that that is very different to what a lot of people are doing. Um, yeah. I told the guys the other day, someone had one on, I can't remember who it was. But Damo and I have this conversation all the time. Like, I think Damo really wants the, the, the metronome ticking away. But, you know, I just feel like if you want to listen to it, you've got to put headphones on and then you can listen to it. But the whole gym, because we've got like a cafe and the reception and physios and osteos, everyone's in there. Like, no one wants to listen to this, like, ticking for, like, day in, day out. I know it kind of blends into the background at some point. And I, mm. and I noticed that when I went to our ghetto, they had the metronome going for Harry's yeah. workshop. And I know that it would kind of fade into the background at some point, but yeah, for me, when I do my handstands, I look at my phone and I put the, the timer on and I can see it kind of moving around or if I'm doing a long handstand, just the timer where it's counting up mm. and then, yeah, I can just look at it the whole time. So for me, it's, it hasn't been an issue with me, you know, timing the, the handstand. But then when it comes to the, the rest periods, it's normally reps and I do the reps, I hold it for a period of time and then I get up and I go again. I haven't been too particular with that and i haven't seen the need to be too particular with that either mm, interesting yeah got a few thoughts around that well one thing you know with staring at the timer in the handstand that's just something that i don't know what it is it really affects my long holds like just staring at that that screen and then moving i've i tried it with different sort of placements now i just do away with that and i just record myself on the phone afterwards oh, and then yeah. find out the time afterwards i just find it's so much better if i'm just like relaxed just on the floor and like i'm not staring at that that counter going up for sure yeah and and what i'm saying is like my way isn't the correct way it's just my way so the metronome is great for certain people looking at the phone could be good. But if you, if you're unable to do that and to maintain balance and to do longer sets and to concentrate, well, then obviously it's not going to be good. So you need to find something that really works for you. 
yeah, for some of my students, I don't give them that because they're just like, how do you do that? Oh, I was in the gym the other day and I was watching a YouTube video and I was in a handstand watching a YouTube video and people, and I just don't even think about this now, but yeah, people come past and they're like, what are you doing? Like you're doing a handstand watching a video, you're an idiot. <laughs> Starting to get longer holds, that's for sure. I like that. It's like, okay, you know, I've reached a minute, a minute and a half now. Now I got to, you know, pass the time as well. So, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Watching podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The metronome was something that I didn't use so much until like the past year. And I've incorporated that into my practice. I guess it just, um, it's another level of control that you can play around with. Right. Because then it's like, okay, I definitely know for every rep that I hit, like that sort of, concentric or eccentric period and then I've recorded that and I can see and I can measure progress in a different sort of way so I found that really interesting also there was like a bit of adaptation to just hearing the in the background as well that that Mm -hmm. killed me for the first few months Um, and then with rest periods I normally really am strict with recording the rest periods when I feel my attention really wandering. So if, if I've got like a longer sort of training session, I might find that I get distracted because I pick up my phone or I do something. So what that's where I've like reincorporated just putting a time run for that rest period so that I know that I'm not screwing around or anything and just keep on going. Nice. Yeah. I love that idea of, yeah, you got to keep yourself accountable sometimes because yeah, within TMC as well, it's so easy for that to happen because there's people playing basketball and doing all sorts of stuff and, and your attention is being dragged in all these different directions. With those longer sessions, if you don't stay focused in your rest periods and you just kind of shut everything off and just keep training, a two-hour session ends up being a three-hour session quite easily. So, yeah, I understand why you do that. And, you know, I do use it sometimes and do time the, the rest periods. Um, but often, yeah, it comes from more of like a feeling of me doing, say it's like weighted pancake, 10 reps, hold, you know, I get down there and it's, it's probably rough. It's roughly like a minute, 45 seconds, something like that down there until I can get to my lowest position. And then I take a few breaths and then I come out, do the leg raises and then I go again. Yeah. And do you record everything afterwards, like on your phone or on your book with like what you've done that session? I go through phases of it. At the moment, I'm in a, in a phase of reworking my programming. I had a program set and I've just kind of finished that. And I've just been playing around now for like the last couple of weeks. And I've been messaging a few people actually, because I want to start a bit of a planche journey and allow the planche to kind of level up a little bit to work on my stalder as well because the straight arm pushing and protraction is really a weak point in my training so i really mm. want to build that up so i can get really solid stalder presses and also yeah i want to work towards the one arm chin again so yeah, i've been no. playing around with certain elements and i really moved away from the rings as well but i feel like i'm going to bring those back in a few elements that i've kind of put aside for a little while and there's a few things that i'm really interested in that I'm going to bring back into my training. So yeah, it's going to be a bit more structured for the next few weeks for sure. And I'll probably write the program for about a six week block. Mm. So you mentioned like, so there was like handstand focus sessions, the stalled focus sessions. And then do you have some other ones where, you know, there's either acrobatics or like pulling work? Yeah. Yeah. So I normally do push pull together. I've tried just pushing alone and pulling alone. I really like working those two together. So it's normally a session that is 
volume focused and then another one that's a bit, little bit more intense. So I work towards like the higher level type stuff or I've done programs before where it's just one session and I keep that for two sessions per week. Mm. And in terms of what you've experienced, like what do you sort of prefer? What have you found that sort of works with your body? You just mentioned with, you know, mixing it up with volume and intensity and we've spoken about this before, but yeah, keen to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. The, the most recent progress that I've had with, with my handstand push-ups, actually. And what I was doing there, it was kind of a mixture of both. So it was the highest level that I could work on. So the handstand push-up freestanding, I would set myself a target of eight reps, for an example, eight, six to eight reps. And I would do as many as I could at the highest level. So freestanding handstand push-ups. Some sets recently I've been getting out seven, seven reps in a set, which is just crazy so the strength Amazing. is not through the roof but when i first started doing this weeks ago or months ago i would do like one or two or one or two or three and i feel like with the handstand push-ups i would just get better and better and better as i would warm up and then once i'd finished that if i'd set the target for say eight reps and i was to do say four freestanding handstand push-ups i would make up the next four with a lesser very or lower variation mm. so for me that would be a pipe push-up or a feet on the box kind of push up like a regressed version to make up the eight and then i would do say five sets of that and that accumulation of doing the high level stuff and then dropping down and and almost like a drop set to the lower level to meet the target that has really seen some great progress in my training and handstand push-ups specifically yeah i think it's such a tricky one especially when it's like so like skill specific as well because you know sometimes when you're doing the handstand push-up i'm sure for a lot of people out there when they uh, felt it like you go, go i've got the strength like but you just can't push in the right way to get up right so i've definitely spent many a time where it's just like fail after fail after fail but you're like okay no like i, I want to get to this rep or i want to get to this rep target but um i guess in that well i mean it's all work accumulation but i guess in this way it's like a smart way to maybe Maybe just like let go, just complete it. And then I'm guessing what you gather and then you go again, next set. I mean, yeah. what about by the end of the last set? Are you just like really gassed then? And then you're only doing like a few reps or it's still pretty high, the quality? Oh, it gets higher. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because the handstand push-up for me is so different to everything else. What you're saying then is like, yeah, as you, as you progress through the sets, normally some fatigue starts to set in and you can't really produce the quality or the rep range that you're doing in the beginning after like five sets or something like that. But the handstand push-up is so different for me. Like I get to five sets and then I'm doing more, more consistently. It's like my shoulders begin to really warm up and I'm able to push through those sticking points and they're just really primed and ready to go. There is a diminishing return at some point. I don't just keep <laughs> going like that, but it's like, yeah, I've, for most things, it's it's kind of like this: a warm up, and then you kind of there's a there's a slight dip, and then there's a, and then it starts to dip down. Handstand push up is just a slow ramp up, and I feel like it just stays up there for longer. And it, I don't know, the endurance maybe is there for me for that particular movement. I'm not really sure, but it's a yeah. weird one. I experienced that as well. Like the first few sets, it's like sort of scratching your head, kind of reconnecting with certain parts of the body to be like, where am I in space? Like I'll underbalance a lot. My hips will drop down and I'll have a few fail reps. And then after a few sets, then you're like, 
oh, bam, there's some sort of like lock on ability. And even though something might go wrong for whatever reason, you can recover, then go back up. And I've tried a few things such as like doing just a long handstand hold beforehand and then try and like dial in the balance before. But yeah, it's still like always like the first few reps. It's just a bit different. Like I've been thinking recently whether to, instead of doing a handstand to actually just do like a bent arm shoulder stand, actually something more maybe in that, um, in that lean forward position that might help because yeah, it always takes a while to dial it in, which, which is really funny. That's interesting. Yeah. That you've experienced the same thing. What I've been doing recently is doing pike push-ups, and I do three sets with ring rows. So mm -hmm. if I'm doing a push pull set, it'd be, or a session, I would do 10 reps of pike push-ups just to really get the shoulders warmed up. And then I do ring rows and then I would move to handsome push-ups and some sort of other pulling variation. Mm. Oh yeah. It's just, it's so interesting. <laughs> nice. So you mentioned like, um, I guess your one arm, chin desires like how have you sort of approached that before or where, where are you at with that skill movement oh, not really anywhere so I actually just come up with this idea today I started working on mixed grip chins again I was on the journey for a little while and I started to get really strong and I was doing a lot of weighted chin a lot of volume work I actually got Devin Kelly's program he's got this program you can just buy it online and it's a big, it was the beginner version. I feel like there's an intermediate version and maybe an advanced. And the prerequisite to start that was if you, if you could do a negative one-arm chin, that was intermediate. But if you couldn't, you'd have to start with beginner. So I started with the beginner because I couldn't do the negative. Close on the right arm, but nowhere on the left. And there was two sessions in that. I think it was about six to seven weeks. And then the program changed again. And I stuck with that all the way through. And I just got some really crazy strength gains. It was a lot of volume, 10 reps per set, four sets of weighted chins. I got up to doing 10 reps with like, 50, oh no, how much was it? 30 kilos or something like that with the, with the chins. And then soon after I finished that, I was just in the gym one day and I was testing my one rep max for my chins. And I did 50 one week, 50 kilos chest to bar. And then the next week I was like, let's test this again. And I did 55 kilos and I got it. I got chest to bar and came back down. Mm -hmm. But my elbow did not like that. Yeah. My elbow was sore. I think it was my left elbow. Sore for a few months after it. So I just pushed it way too hard. So I really backed off a lot of the more advanced pulling variations. And I just went back to really light sort of chin-ups and, and ring rows until it started to feel good. It actually feels really good now. So I want to, yeah, maybe I can get those programs back out and have a look at them. They were pretty intense and pr there was a lot of variation in them. So I'm going to check them out again and just sort of see if it's, it's what, if it's what I want to do. And I might even start on those programs once again, because I did really see some great progress. What are your thoughts on what uh, Harry presented in a workshop that we went to Wollongong when he was talking a lot about the one arm, the one arm pull versus the one arm chin and uh, shout out Harry. Like he was talking about how that might be a way to approach it whilst avoiding some potential elbow aggravation mm. yeah i think my elbow was still a little bit tweaked out at that point so i didn't really push that too hard 
on that workshop. But yeah, what were some takeaways from that that you had and have you started working on the one arm pull up? No, I haven't. So I thought that was an interesting like way to approach it with what he was um, presenting. I guess right now, you know, I'm receiving programming from somebody. So it's programmed as like chin up work. So I haven't been able to like fully practice that approach, but it is something that, you know, I would love to have a go at. And I think there, yeah, there could be something in it with how, um, with, with what I've seen Harry presenting with saying yeah. that, you know, that's really helped him with his elbows. And it was quite funny at that workshop, he was saying, okay, how many people have trained for the one arm chin? How many people have the experienced elbow? elbow? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah. every, everyone's gone up. And at that point, like I hadn't really started doing the one arm chin work that I'm doing now. So I was like, oh, I never had any elbow issues. It's fine. And then so six months later on, and I've done, a few intense phases where I've been working the one arm chin. Yeah. My right elbow is dealing with some inflammation right now. So I'm like, okay, well, this clearly is like a skill move with some sort of yeah, risk factor as well. Maybe we need to rethink a certain approach here. If the uh, level of injury risk is, is so prevalent. Mm. Yeah. I really like this program from Devon. It was, quite intense and quite long each session. And I think it was just pulling. I think this is why I've moved on from that to the stage of push pull. I really enjoyed that. But if I was to move on to that, maybe I would incorporate, maybe reduce some of the volume in it. And yeah, cause it is going to take a long period of time. Cause we know that already and talking to anyone that's worked on it, you know, that they've been injured. So it'd be interesting to, to find a way to really progress towards that skill without injuring the elbow. Like, it's got to, there's got to be a way there's got to be a way for some people it doesn't seem to happen right like um say yeah maybe it's just like our structures as well with how it's set up in a certain way because you know for me it's the right one but my left one seems to be completely fine so yeah. you know what's that all about i've talked to some i've talked to some people who've been completely fine as well and then others where it's just like yeah got to be careful you should do a short episode with like everyone you know that can do a one arm chin, like Vic, Vic Hawksley, Will Grant, John Marsh. John Marsh can do them. Yeah, yeah. Pull on and just have like a panel and just talk to them about like what is some advice for the uh, for the students out there looking to uh, work on the one arm chin. That's a really good idea. I should panel discussion on the one arm chin. Look yeah. out for it, guys. Let's do it. And how about your one-arm handstand journey? I know you've been working on that for quite some time. You know, you've been cracking out some good holds uh, recently as well. So, yeah, yeah tell us a bit, bit about that. Yeah, so I received some programming from Harry. Again, shout out, Harry. Two phases with him. He's injured himself recently, and I've inquired about doing some training with him in the future, and I feel like I'll jump back on that to get some advice with around that. But I've just been ticking away with the program that he sent through and I've modified a few different things with the mobility, but the handstand work is pretty much the same and I'm making some good progress. I'm getting roughly eight to 10 second holds on my left arm every session, not every handstand, but every session I'll, I'll reach, you know, I'll have a crack at it and I'll get one handstand that's around that time, which is really good. And three months ago, there's no, I think that was my record total mm. like ever to get 10 seconds. My longest one now is about 13 seconds. The right's still really catching up, but I'm just ticking away. It's just like a bit of a slow, slow process with the one arm. The slowest 
process I've seen in any movement that I've ever worked on. It is pretty insane. There's a lot of variables and it's really just spending time doing the reps, figuring out, feeling and embodying what position your body needs to be in to hold that position. It's really insane. I was going to ask whether, you know, there was any particular aha moments during the journey where you're like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get it. Or is it mainly just a, just, you just got to be consistent practice thing, you know? Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot, there's, there's all of it. I think there's having the specific programming, which was really important because it's a skill that you can't just play with and just get, well, I don't think you can because I tried that. Programming really helped for me to understand the positioning and the structure of the body and how it's actually working and where we need to balance and how we need to position to hold that balance. And yeah, Harry just describes it really well in terms of like having both hands down. We've got, we tend to fall forward and back when we go to one arm, we can fall in like 360 degree motion and Mm -hmm. We're not just taking one arm away. We're losing a whole hand. We're losing an elbow, a shoulder, all these things that we had before when we did the two-arm handstand that would help us rebalance and stabilize. We've just all of a sudden lost all of that. So Mm. it's now just all relying on one arm, one elbow, one, one hand to support us. So, yeah, the complexity just goes up a thousand times, it feels like. And I've never experienced anything like that before. So it's quite the journey and really slowing down and understanding what my body needs in those moments to to maintain balance and to hold it. The aha moments, I think, came from the ghetto workshop. And what I was doing, I was piking, straddling the hips, shifting my weight, going towards like the piano holds or or going towards the one-arm handstand work. And my top leg would open. So instead of being pulled down into and creating some sort of like shelf mm-hmm. or piked position, I would go into it. And without knowing that leg would open up and that would cause a rotation from my hips all the way down to my hand. And I would just rotate out of it. And I would always try to fight the rotation. And that works sometimes, but this cue of just pulling down and locking that in, and keeping that position and not opening that hip was a massive aha moment. And that enabled me to kind of push through and start to get longer holds. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Like when I saw you guys practicing it and that was like really one of the first times I've actually seen a one-arm handstand in person, because, you know, these days you always see it in a sort of Instagram shot and it's one sort of angle. And the most amazing thing was when you could actually walk, around someone doing it and see how 3d it was actually you're like oh i never imagined that the legs were this way or like i was watching like louis do the transitions through all the shapes and then you know all the the saves all the saves that he was doing as well and i was like wow like yeah there's a lot lot more complexity to this to the to um handstand like you just you can't comprehend it until you really see it in person yeah for sure yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything else like it because it's so. It looks so similar from the outside looking in. It's like, oh yeah, it's just. It's probably twice as hard, but it's just not. There's so much more to it. It's. It feels like a completely different skill. It's in another realm. That's what it feels like. But that's also part of the reason I like it because it is a, quite a big challenge, and I'm really learning a lot about myself and and my body. Yeah, I was going to ask. You know, it takes 
such a long time and it is, you know, such a specific skill as well. At what point did you just decide, you know, hey, I'm going to go for this and what keeps you going in terms of chasing after this? I think originally I was just holding different shapes and I was holding some longer handstands getting to two minutes. I got to, well, this might've been on the journey. My longest handstand now is two minutes, 41. It's like two arm freestanding handstand. And I thought that just seemed the next progression. Like it just seemed like the next place I should take my hand balancing practice. And I was willing to dedicate time to it because I'd already dedicated a lot of time to my hand balancing practice. And probably last thing is like, it just looks like a freaking cool skill. It just looks awesome. So why not have a play with it? And I just see all of this as just a big game. So it's like, why not move to the next level? It's like, why keep playing the same game or the same level on repeat when we can have a look at, you know, leveling up and, and moving to that next stage? Like, why not? Yeah, it's always interesting because movement being so broad as well, sometimes you're faced with the choice going, you know, do I go to the next level with this certain game or do I play a new game? Because we've always got limited time as well, you know, with the hand balancing, that's, uh, you know, if you've just spoken about it, sometimes those can be like quite, quite long sessions as well. So, you know, you could be doing other things such as like jujitsu or something else like it, you know, is there something particular to hand balancing that just resonates with you, which is why you keep on, investing time in it yeah i like the element of stillness as well like i feel really calm when i'm going into a handstand it's very different to other practices jiu-jitsu is very different so i do a little bit of jiu-jitsu the, the strength training is different again it's like that's almost like like a rev up type thing where you get revved up and you, and you do the thing and you really push the limits hand balancing is really the opposite and i really like that element where you can you have to be really calm and big deep breaths and really center yourself so i I feel like that's yeah that's it and with the mobility component as well it just creates this practice that's really gentle and and graceful and it feels like you're just really performing some sort of art or you're creating some sort of art Mm, yeah. yeah That reminds me of, you know, like Yuval's videos online on Instagram. He's always posting like a beautiful mobility drill with like a beautiful handstand as well. And he kind of encapsulates that feeling of just this, uh, it's, it's like grace, ease, relaxation as well, which, um, yeah. yeah, that does um, strike a chord with me as well. But um, it's a, a little bit different for me with the handstand. I think it always keeps on reminding me of like the potential. Like for me, that was the first real sort of skill where my perspective towards practice really started training, uh, changing. So instead of just thinking, okay, like I'm just going to work out and just smash myself with intensity and just get a good sweat on. This was like, Oh, actually I have to approach something quite intelligently. Otherwise like nothing's going to happen. So every time I go into it, that reminds me of how my practice transformed. And, you know, for me, that reminder, you know, really energizes me. So I love it. Yeah. It's very different to a workout. That's why I guess it's like a practice, you know, handstand practice. It's, it's very, very different to, to anything else that I do. And with say your other sort of skill sections, like I see you doing acrobatics, you know, flow type work as well, quite a lot. How do those fit into the practice? They're a little bit more sporadic. So I did a little bit today for me, most of the time that's, 
bit of a feel good practice. If I'm not, if I'm not feeling good in my body and I've done a lot of computer work, that's my go-to. I go outside, I get some sun, I flip around on the grass. I absolutely love it. It makes my body feel so good. And just, it just, yeah, it just does something to my brain as well. I'm not even sure what it is, but it just really lights me up. I love playing with acrobatics and, and all the flow work now. I probably practice that a couple of times a week, but I, it definitely moves in, in phases. So for me, I'm 36 now and with that knee injury and, and certain things that are happening, I don't always feel ready to do that. Sometimes I wake up and if I've done a hard workout the day before, I don't feel super bouncy or ready to, to jump into a practice like that. So that depends on how I'm feeling. So it's really intuitive for me when I add that in. I do have some programming set out for myself and I've done some programs and watch a bunch of videos and tutorials and, and things like that as well. So I've kind of got the basis for it, but as I add it in, it's very determined by what I'm feeling that day. Mm. And how do you sort of warm the body up for these sessions or do you jump straight into it or do you have specific sort of things to, you know, sort of get you in the mood, get you feeling bouncy? Yeah. Music definitely helps. Yeah. I, I have way better sessions if I've got some music playing, especially with the flow work and things start to warm up and I get like midway through the practice and I'm really feeling it. The music can really help. Hmm. I really like the playlist Organica on Spotify. It's kind of like these tribal sort of beats and any sort of music like that, it's got a really good consistent beat and, and moving to the music, whether it's, you know, like putting slow music on as well when I'm first starting, but yeah, to actually warm it up and to start the practice, I, f I feel like a lot of, Arching is quite good. Diagonal stretch, stretching the hip flexors, they seem to cop a lot in extension when I'm doing front cartwheels and reversal and, and all these movements. So there's a few different positions and shapes that I find myself in when I'm practicing acrobatics. So I tend to just give them a little stretch and warm up and go really slow through those movements first before I get stuck straight into it. So it would be like bridge work, some maybe sissy squats and, and reach backs opening up. And then I start normally soft. I normally have like a long sleeve shirt on if I'm inside and I do lower floor activity. So all the sweeping patterns, the windmills, the leg sweeps uh, around the worlds. And then I start to build it up until eventually I'm standing and I'm doing more high level, uh, faster, more dynamic acrobatics. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, I've sort of done it where I warm up in a certain way where like arm swings for me really love using those to just warm the body up, connect through, you know, from the hips, from the toe all, all the way to, to the hands. Definitely always warm up the hips because um, yeah, like <laughs> I, I can't feel that I, I can just jump into these sort of movements without um, getting some blood through that. But um, yeah, normally then I just jump straight into whatever skill piece that I'm working on. But so maybe I'll give that a try where I just work on some more like low level type stuff or maybe even some like lower skill demanding um, type, type work to really get into the mood before moving on to the uh, more complex stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It can work. And again, I'm not creating a rule here that say that that's the only way, because sometimes I, I just get out and it's, it's sunny. The other day I was teaching a private session and 
I just pulled up about half an hour early and I just did some handstands and there was a patch of grass there. And I just started like hucking gainers and doing butterfly kicks, butterfly twists, all of the higher level stuff immediately. And I just felt really good. So yeah, I don't want to create a rule around that either, but just see how the body's feeling and just kind of build into it. Or if it's feeling really good, that's a, that's a good sign that you kind of, maybe you're ready to go as well. And are there any particular skills that you've like right now that you've picked out and that you really want to focus on and uh, refine or learn? Yes. So nothing super new, just more refinement right now. So variations of the front cartwheel, reverse out, I can do them. Different combinations coming in and out of all those movements as well. How do I incorporate those into like a flow pattern? And I seem to be creating up like just making up new ones every time I'll just either I'll stuff it up and I'll, I'll make that work or I'll do a new variation of a kick into a river river into a roll, whatever it might be. What else? Refining some old patterns that I'd forgotten about, like doing gainers and doing more high level acrobatics and getting back into doing flips and, and jumping type acrobatics. So that's come into my practice again. I hadn't done a, a back tuck in a while. I'm not sure if you saw that video, but I put a video up the first day that I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. <laughs> this is at the netball courts. And uh, Jenny was in the background. She was doing handstands and she was filming me. And I was like standing there, like putting my arms down, throwing them up, practicing my uh, tuck jumps and things like that. And eventually, you know, I had a few failed attempts and eventually I got it back. So that was a, that was a fun day. That one. Yeah. I think I saw you and it kind of looked like, you went up and over, but almost like belly flopped, but still like landed it. It was, <laughs> it was landed on my yeah, hands and knees almost. I always do that when I haven't done it for a while. The back flip is really tricky. Like the, the back tuck, it's, yeah, there's a part of me or my brain just kind of kicks in at a certain moment and, and it's like, no, nah, you can't do this. It's like, no, 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 we've got this. Like just a, one part of me says, no, you can't do it. So I need to go over a bunch of different patterns and tuck jumps and, and really feel it almost like imagine myself doing it, visualize myself doing the movement, and then I can kind of feel through it. Yeah, that one's a really tricky one. Most other movements I can just do immediately and there's no part of me that kind of comes up to, to stop me from doing it. But this one definitely, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a separate beast, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the the mental imaging can become such a powerful part of, you know, uh, all this sort of practice. Like if you can really visualize, you know, if you're doing a certain move, it, it helps me definitely with some of the moves with like, Oh, that's where I'm going to place my hand and then come over. And then even just in the rest periods and then you're going, okay, like that's, that's how it is. Like um, I'm not sure what it is, but there's just yeah something very powerful with that technique. And you can also use that by filming. And I always suggest people do that, especially with acrobatics and handstands to film yourself. And then in your rest periods, you can watch over it and get a good visual of what's actually happening. You can almost break it down into, you can slow it down and things like that. So you can get a good idea of the way that it's feeling often doesn't really represent the way that it looks. So you've got to have those two together. Like, oh, it felt like this. Let's have a look at it and sort of see what it looked like. And did those two match up? And if they didn't match up, yeah, can you change at the next set or the next time you practice it to kind of simulate what you envisioned the movement was going to look like. I sometimes do that where I've got a previous recording of myself when I've done it really well. And I watch that beforehand because then that gives me the image of going, Oh, that's what I want to do. And then I match that with maybe like 
what I'm doing currently today. And I find that really helpful because it kind of reminds you as well going, oh, yeah, I can do that. I got, look, yeah, I've got the video, yeah. like <laughs> this is it. It's perfect. Yeah. Nice. And, um, you know, if you can think about how your practices sort of like developed over maybe these um, last few years, has there anything that's really stood out to you, which has like maybe changed something within your uh, practice, like maybe a certain concept or something that you've learned where you've gone, okay, like that's, that's made you change the way you approach how you train and, and practice. Now, I guess repetition, and I've trialed with this, and I think coming into this new phase, I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with this, developing strength through repetition, higher volume over you know spread across the week, rather than doing one to two sessions of really long, intense sessions. I'm gonna see if I can play with this, and I've done this with other skills in the past. The handstand push up is a good example of that. The handstand itself mobility increases in the past where it's just slowly ticking away and that idea or the concept around the skill development and, and doing it more frequently almost like grease the groove kind of technique i feel mm. like that can work really well and i've trialed it out and i'm going to continue to experiment with that and find certain things that i can do on a daily basis that will un enable me to really understand certain positions certain pathways and develop strength or high level skills without dedicating hours and hours on just a couple of sessions per week, but maybe just ticking away at them. I feel like with the handstand push up, that really showed me that, you know, that's really possible and your body begins to understand the movement and it becomes just second nature. The flow work as well, rather than doing one big session and destroying my body, just ticking away at that and doing some mm. movements here at my house or going to the park and just, you know, just that repeated um input to the body and to the and to your brain to allow everything to understand it can be really helpful and it's something that i'm going to keep exploring yeah what sort of level of exertion level are you normally taking these sessions to you know 10 being the most maximum zero being nothing at all what level do you normally take it to each session to session yeah i'd say maybe a seven something like that yeah, yeah. nice <laughs> Yeah, I think nothing too crazy. And it's definitely, I'm definitely doing work, but there's still more in the tank because mm. I don't want to wake up sore or sore for the next five days. I want to do a session and wake up and feel good to, to repeat it again. So that kind of comes into the same concept that I don't want to do these big sessions and wake up and, oh, like my adductors are so sore from doing middle splits the, the day before that I can't do middle splits again for five days. It's like on a, why wouldn't I want to just do a little bit each day and, and begin to open them up? Because then I think the nervous system is going to understand the position. If you're telling your body every day that you want to be in middle split, it's likely that it's going to want to adapt to that. Yeah, this is such an interesting area, especially like mobility development. Like for skill development, especially like I've notice like the more consistent that you can be the more that you just keep on chipping away i'll use the handstand for example you know it didn't really lock in for me until i just did this follow-along program that i found on youtube i think it was like 15 20 minutes and it was like the 15 20 minute daily handstand oh, nice. program and i was like all right for the next month i'm just gonna do that and then that's when it finally started happening 
versus just doing like two or three days a week and then longer sessions, maybe like an hour. Right. And it's definitely the same when I do more of this flow work, floor work, capoeira, like the more just bits and pieces I can do sprinkled all throughout the week. Then I start to embody it a bit more, but um, with the strength and mobility, sometimes I think, Oh, like, is it better to go almost like, you know, we all know mindful mover, like, harder really intense and then just rest for the rest of of the week it it's kind of like yeah two different approaches that the grease the groove versus the yeah go hard but then rest yeah i've done both and yeah they both work because there's coaches out there that are teaching both of those both of those methods and they're getting really good results so it really depends on the individual I have tried tried it out with both strength and mobility. At the start of my journey for the pancake, I set myself a target of getting my head to the floor. Once I could get my head to the floor after a few weeks or months of training the pancake, I could get my head to the floor. And I was like, all right, I'm going to make that a goal because it would take me about three sets of weighted pancake to get my head to touch. I set myself a goal of touching my head to the floor every single day. And then once I could do that, I just move the goalposts a little bit further forward and then it was the nose and then it was the chin and then after three sets I could get my chest and then my stomach and I would just set that as a target and I did that for a period of time and that really helped my pancake mm. after I could get it without the um, with the weight I ditched the weight and I was like all right I want to get my stomach to the floor without any weight so I set myself a new target and can I relax my nervous system enough and be comfortable enough to move down into this pancake position, nice and flat, without any weight. And I got there. And that's from that repeated stress on the body, just enough to give the input to say, hey, this is where we want to be. Let's relax down into this position. But again, you know, that's not the only way. I've tried it. And in recent months, I guess it's more of two sessions a week or three sessions a week with the pancake and also yields great results. So there's no right or wrong. It really depends on the individual. Uh, I'm reading a book at the moment. Oh, what is it? Strength training. Where is it? Somewhere around here. It's like a strength training manual. And it's talking about periodization and all these different concepts and all this stuff. It's this huge textbook. And it's so interesting because I'm reading through it and it's like giving all these concepts, right? And then at the end of that, you start another concept and it says, hey, Basically, it's saying, hey, you know, this is great, but it doesn't always work and it depends. And then the next one, it's like, all right, read all this stuff. And it seems really legit, like really scientific. And it's like got all these graphs and stuff. It's like, this is really cool. And then on the next one, it's going to say it's the same thing. It's like, it really depends. So don't take yeah. this as the rule. It depends. So the same rule applies here. It's, it's, it can be both or something completely different as well. That's always <laughs> the case, right? And it's like... Oh, yeah. Depends a lot, I think, on what you want to get out of it and the practice and the context, right? Like, say, like I know for myself as well, I don't like being, yeah, sore, knocked out for days because I like to move every day. I like to do things. If my, you know, hamstrings are cooked for seven days and that prevents me from doing like more deeper folds or things like that, that's going to affect, you know, my skill development or like let's just look past skill development just like enjoying like the use of my wow. body day in day yes. out to, to to bend over and pick up stuff you know so like yeah like I normally also keep it around that 
and seven, you know, sometimes eight sort of exertion mark. Sometimes when I'm training, like say capoeira as well, I like to keep it even just around like the four or the five because I'm just like playing around. And I know that, yeah, like that just keeps me going rather than just I've been there before, you know, trying to smash it 10 out of 10 each time, like, you know, Tabata workouts, hit, hit ones, just really take it to the max. And it just um, works well for a time, like short burst, but it, over a long period, yeah, you, you, well, you need to rest. You can't just keep on going and doing something like that every day. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that as well. It's been interesting recently because yeah, sometimes I have been pushing it pretty hard in sessions and I've been setting myself some crazy targets and I will do it. And I'm like, definitely going to be sore from that for like strength, strength work. And I feel like my capacity from doing strength work so consistently over the last few months or whatever it is, especially for the upper body that I find it really hard to get sore. I've got to really change the stimulus and, and do some really different exercises and load it up differently and spend more time under tension and change the rep range and do drop sets. And I've got to really get creative now. And I'm not saying that being sore is the, is the only um, indication of adaptation occurring, but it, it is a indication and recently I've just been really working through that because I've, I've been so consistent and the capacity is just there. So I've been setting myself some crazy targets, which I thought were a 10, but then the next day I'm like, you know what? I'm bouncing around. Like I could go more. So it's very I interesting. That's a surprising thing. Once you start going down like a practice for a, a longer amount of time is surprising yourself with how that work capacity actually grows. And, you know, that's something that I've noticed as well, like with the level of DOMS, like you'll never forget, you know, the first days when you squat and like how you feel oh, the next day. Right. But then now it's like, you feel like a, some uncertain level of fatigue, but it's not like, I don't get so muscular sore as well like that that often normally yeah, it's quite a surprise if i've tried something and maybe it's yeah that stimulus has been like several levels above or it's a completely new movement that i'm like oh okay yeah that that that's interesting but but normally yeah it's you just keep on going you you're, you're feeling like you're pushing during that session but then the next day you're like okay like a, i feel good you know You've probably got it so dialed in as well. Like you kind of know how far to push yourself without getting that six days of soreness as well. So we've mm. probably, you know, done enough to realize, you know, we're smart enough in our training now to realize that we don't need to go that hard. There's a few things recently that, that still get me. Dragon flags are just, I don't know if you practice them regularly. I try to do them once a week or something like that. But if I miss a few weeks, sometimes I do them twice a week. I always do three sets of five reps full dragon flags on the mm -hmm. store bars and every time th maybe three days soreness like cut back bend it's so bad so i need to reduce the volume a little bit with those and build them up but they're just such an intense exercise and the and the one recently i'm working on the dragon squat mm -hmm. really limited hip mobility external rotation a little bit but internal rotation needs a lot of work. So I've been working on that low um, position for the dragon squat, like the lowest position, mm -hmm. working through like doing the toe touches and the leg lifts where you're just lifting through the adductors and I get cramps and that kind of destroys me for a few days as well. But most other things, I feel like I've got it dialed in enough to not wake up and walk around sore for the next week. 
That's an interesting movement because, you know, I've seen your hip mobility. You can, you can do the splits in you know, front splits, middle splits, but so for the dragon squat, has that, okay. yeah, has this been quite difficult? Where, where are you at with it at the moment? Is this quite a difficult movement for you to yeah. access? Yeah, challenge, massive challenge. So I've just been working on a lot of that uh, glute stretches and that low position, really just working on the mobility at this point. I've been starting to add in some strength work and I've just been doing, it's almost like the curtsy squat variation. So I'm coming down, I'm getting that knee as far as I can forward. I can get my elbow down on my right leg and I'm just working through those as well as the mobility and spending heaps of time in the end range. And I feel like those two combined are going to eventually equal the dragon squat, but it's quite limited, really tight through my hips. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I can almost get into a middle split and front splits are pretty decent, but the internal external rotation of the hips uh, needing some work, really tight glutes, uh, glute med, and then the strength through the adductors. I thought the adductors are really strong, and I guess they are in certain positions, but this one just seems to put it in this really weird angle, and it cramps up. So the body or the adductors are just not used to that position, and they're unable to fire up or to hold any sort of strength while I'm moving through that range. So interesting because like for me, middle split is like almost like non-existent. It's by far like the hardest mobility development that I've experienced for, for myself, but uh, for active pigeons, all that sort of stuff, like it's no, no worries. worries at all. So for the dragon squat, I just sort of just tacked my way through it and then didn't find it too hard to, to, to do, but. Um, nice. So yeah. you can do a full version, like all the way down. I can't do a shoulder tap, but I can get pretty, pretty low. And this is like, nice. I have, I only had very early on in my practice where I just like started having a, having a go at it. And basically similar to you started off with curtsy squats, then just wrapping the leg around, then just like grabbing the foot actually that, that goes around and just like um, holding, holding that foot and holding that bottom position. And then I just found one day that I could just go all the way down and then back up again. So yeah, haven't, haven't directly retrained it again. So I just think like, the other sort of mobility work that I've been doing, especially as you mentioned, the um, external rotation work has has sort of kept it there or even slightly improved it. Um, so, yeah, what maybe. What do you do for external rotation? What's your practice there and the internal? Uh, so, I've worked a lot of just active pigeon work. So, I've also done like pigeon sort of good mornings. So, had my foot up on a box oh, yeah. and then leaning externally forward. rotated and yet yeah, leaning, leaning forward with, um, with weight as well. I've done a lot of that. I've just worked. So worked that at different heights and then either done like isometric holds for, for time, or if it's reps, you know, leaning forward back and down and up and pushing up. So with that variation, did you, you said different heights. Did you start at a higher height and work your way down to the ground for those, for those good morning pigeons? I find like the height, changes like a certain angle on the hip as well so even though like for people that i've guided through it like higher can be easier like i've found it different working out on the floor to working out on a higher height and in terms of like how you can angle your torso or the amount of um, pelvic tilt that you can put on the hip as well so really it's just like for me different stimulus i don't find one or the other like 
easier or harder it depends on how like you want to perform it and how much pressure you want to put on the hip depending on how you've positioned the back leg um especially like when you're on the floor where the knee is and how square your hips are and how much pelvic tilt especially that you can that you can put on that hip because sometimes you can it sort of feels more um in a hip in, in a way if uh you kind of angle your, your knee in and square your hips uh but then also if you push and shift your hips more across the um the supporting legs as well it can feel like more the outer wall of the hip so it can kind of like change quite quite a bit so that, that's been a main tool for active sort of external rotation and recently a few months ago i um I did the dynamic versions where you start off in the lunge position um, and then you drive the knee all the way down to the ground and then back up. And that was, that, that was killer. Like, <laughs> especially if you um, do it slow and controlled. So you try and control the knee down, soft touch the knee and even just hold the knee a little bit off the ground for, for time at the end. Oh man, that's um, a whole New level of. I'm going to take a video of me attempting that and I'm going to send it to you and you're going to laugh. (laughs) Uh, No, I like that idea. And it's something that, yeah, I've just spent heaps more time doing split work than I have working on the internal external rotation. So I know that I can open it up. It's just basically time spent doing the reps. So, Mm. yeah, I love that advice. And I'm going to have a play around with those box variations. I've definitely done them in the past. I've kind of done all the movements, but it's, it's been the dedication and the time spent actually, you know, practicing those movements. It just hasn't been there. So I just need to, uh, yeah. you know, I'm just going to step up and, and open it up. Yeah. But they yeah, definitely always very challenging with the hip ones, especially like internal rotation. I think that's just like a, yeah, a tricky one where you get all these sort of sensations, which never feel too, too nice. So yeah, like, that one's been tricky because of the knees. It's it's quite kind of difficult to work on that internal rotation of the hip without affecting the knees. The knees are kind of like the middle point. Mm. And I found a few things and I found like the open chains type stuff when the foot is is open, uh, moving through those ranges feels a lot better because I've done a few things in the past where the, the foot is um, is on the ground or is, is planted and then I'm moving through certain ranges. And that doesn't feel too good because the the lack of internal rotation of the hip gets made up by the knee. And then the knee can't really, you know, cop much there. And then I just get injuries or, you know, issues through the knee. So, yeah, that's been a tricky one to navigate because of the knee injury, the meniscus tear in like both knees. I've had to really go easy on working through the internal rotation, whereas other mobility, I just kind of, know what to do and I just kind of go hard at it and it's normally just located it's like yeah just located in that area say if I'm stretching middle splits I'll just feel it in my adductors whereas if I'm working on internal rotation I'll then feel it in my knees as well so there's a few limiting factors there that need to be considered when someone is trying to open up you know that that area so interesting because for me it's the opposite when I do middle splits if I push it really far like it feels like there's stress on my inner knee because oh, yeah. the adductors are, are pulling I think uh, across that um, th- that ligament as well and so I have had like slight knee pain when I've done or oh, pushed active middle split holds a bit too much and then I have this inner knee pain for a couple of days afterwards 
Whereas for you, it's uh, kind it's of the awesome. opposite. Yeah, it's so, that's why it's just so individual, isn't it? I did do a lot of horse dance leading in. I haven't done it for a while now, not consistently anyway, leading into me doing a lot of active middle split work. And I've just been really consistent with my middle split work. So I feel like my adductors and around that area or in that position is just super strong at the moment. Yeah. The factor. With your knee, maybe take us through, like, you know, you mentioned both knees was it meniscus tears like so what sort of happened there was there some type of trauma or you know accumulation over time yeah I was oh, how old was I yeah I think you said it was 10 years yeah it was like 20 when I was about 25 a few of our mates went in we bought a uh, ski boat like a wakeboarding boat we just put in a thousand bucks each or something like that and we were we're out wakeboarding and I think it was our first session out there and I was jumping over the wake and I landed and my knee just like buckled and I just fell into the water. I was like, what was that? And it was like so painful. And it was a bucket handle tear in my, in my left knee. And they suggested surgery immediately. And I've spoke with a few people that I, that I knew and, and they were just like, no, if you can kind of ride it out, like do the rehab and strengthen it up. And this was before I got into the movement practice you know, you can rehab it and, and it could be okay. Um, you want to kind of keep, this is the, the message that I got. You, you don't really want to remove the meniscus at your age. You want to try to keep it in there. And if you can rehab it, then it's going to be better long-term. So I tried to do that and it was good for a period of time, a lot of catching. So I'd be walking and it would catch on the inside of my knee because there was basically like this flap of cartilage in there that would catch. Yeah. And it was pretty painful for a long period of time, but once I moved over to Canada, that's where I really started my movement practice when I was about 27. And I was doing the Ido Portal, like low squat, resting squat routine, 30, 30 for 30. And that really helped me move into that deep flexion. And I was doing all the movement practice. So locking the knee out felt really good after doing Jefferson curls and, and really just progressing really slowly with all these movements, finding those ranges in flexion and extension and it actually felt really good. I was doing acrobatics and doing all these different things that felt pretty good. Every now and then it would flare up. But in the last year or so, it started to get way worse. It started to catch. It almost felt like a slight dislocation of the knee as well. Like I'd be doing flow work in like a 90-90 position and I'd get up and it would just like click or clunk and I'd just fall to the ground and with just like so much pain. So I ended up getting surgery at the start of this year for that knee. The other one's been pretty good. And I think I got diagnosed when I was over in Canada. I think I was doing capoeira for that one. All the low twisting movements, mm. kind of similar, similar injury. Um, but I'm just rehabbing it now. I lost a lot of muscle in that leg and I'm slowly starting to build it up now. And it's feeling good. It's, it's still painful in, in deep flexion and I've got to be kind of careful with it with how much load i add to it what positions what ranges but generally it doesn't hold me back too much and i'm hoping mm. that within you know the next 12 months of me rehabbing it getting it stronger it's gonna be feeling really good it's really interesting how it improved like over such a long period and then for whatever reason in the last year then it decided to go nope like not liking this do you have any sort of uh thoughts theories yeah. around that the surgeon said it looks mangled <laughs> like when he looked at the uh the mri he said it's just mangled in there so i feel feel like it might have retorn the the bit that was flat 
wasn't just loose anymore. It was like kind of folded over and just kind of stuck in a certain position. And I just feel like there was just a lot going on in there that just needed to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. He was, he was um, blown away that it, that I lasted that long, that I rehabbed it and I kept moving on it for 10 years. He was like, that's just insane. It's always such a big decision, right? To actually like go under the knife, get surgery, you know, like, I mean, apart from the the whole narrative, sometimes that might come up from, you know, the movement culture to that, that can be avoided. I mean, for anybody, it's just like a big decision, right? So yeah. Was it just a certain point where you're like, you know what, I've had enough, like, I, yeah. I want to get, I want to try a different way. Yeah. Cause I was at the time at the start of this year, I was really getting into the flow practice and that internal rotation position where you're sitting in figure four and you come up to squat. There was a lot of movements where I'd go down and I'd pop up and I'd do Makako and all this stuff and it would just go. And it just happened time and time again. And it put me out and I had to stop practice that day. And I was taking some contemporary dance classes. And again, you just find those positions so often in those classes that it just kept reoccurring way too often. And it was really, yeah, putting a kind of, um, I was making, it was like a big setback in my practice, I guess you would put it. And I would have to stop practicing and and kind of rework it. And I just felt like I was tiptoeing around it. And it got to a point where I'd done so much rehab and I'd seen all the physios and everyone and they've given me certain exercises even all the ATG stuff as well it was just time to have it cleaned up and then start you know start fresh yeah so how have you approached it now the rebuilding process from post-surgery to where you are now yeah so I started doing I can't remember how it was pretty soon after it as soon as I could kind of feel it again and start to move through some range. I just started to regain. It's just really important to regain the range. So can you lock it out? Can you get full extension? Can you get full flexion? And both of those were really difficult and I had to really go nice and easy with them. I started off by doing squats onto a box, like a 24 inch box. So it's basically my legs weren't even bending. I was just bending a little bit, touching, coming back up. Mm. That's where I started for the first couple of weeks. Once I started the rehab, might've been a few weeks after the surgery and then just started to progress from there. Just started to move through deeper range, spend some time in the lowest squat position I could until it started to sink down lower and lower and then gradually increase the load and making sure that I wasn't pushing through any pain at the point I was doing some like step down, some reverse sled pulls, everything really, really light. Sissy squats didn't come in till a little bit later. They felt really weird. And even after months and months, it's been what almost 12 months now, maybe 10 months since I had the surgery doing diagonal stretch on when the back leg was, was the knee. So my left knee was back it created this like sensation that it felt like it was, it was going to pop. It was just really painful loading it up in that bent leg position for the back leg of the diagonal stretch. So I was trying to do all of those movements that I was doing before, but just modifying everything. So the diagonal stretch would be, I would just go to a certain level that I could just feel the stretch, but not push too hard that I'd feel that sensation in the knee. And slowly over the last few months, it's get just feeling stronger and stronger and stronger. I think that's one of the hardest things is when you've been at a certain level before or 
you've performed something in a certain way, like say the diagonal stretch, and you've got this image in your mind going like, oh, I can, I can hit a certain level of depth. I should be able to just do it. But um, just withholding once again, being smart with it and just going, oh, maybe, maybe I need to do this a bit more supported or I need to hold on to this for now. And, and that's good enough. Um, I certainly find that one of the most challenging parts of any type of rehab process. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a part of everyone that kind of it's like their mind just imagines them, yeah, where they were before. And in your mind, you can do it, but your body might be telling you something else. So it's just really important to listen to all the parts of you, especially your body. And what is that saying to you? Because if there's pain and discomfort, maybe that's a, a really good indication and sign that you need to take a different approach or just modify it slightly and know that you don't have to like compare yourself to where you were before. That doesn't really matter. Like you just drop the judgment and yeah, just do what your body is, is asking for and just sort of give it some like gentle, yeah, whatever it needs basically. Mm. And all this sort of stuff where you working like quite high reps uh, with, you know, the, the common sort of thing with, you know, injury management sometimes is just go like super high reps, you know, 50, a hundred, that sort of thing. Is that sort of how you're playing it? Yeah. Not even that many. I don't think I could do 50 reps in a set for the, when I first started, it was just maybe like 10 reps, 10 reps, a few sets. And I was just getting it moving just until it felt good. And and just really working on, yeah, getting it straight and getting it full flexed. It wasn't anything like 50 or 100 reps. I was just moving through some ranges. And then when I started to load it up, yeah, I guess like some of the sets, I was doing slam board squats at one point and I was working like maybe 25 reps. So still higher reps, but not in you know 50 to 100. Yeah. Just making it feel good, making it feel strong again, like building some confidence back up in my knee and in my leg. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've I've tried it before where I I like go all right, like I'm gonna try this high rep thing and 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 fifty like even for this elbow, I'm like, man, it's such a long time to be honest. You oh, know? After you get like twenty five, I reckon for me like. 30 30 is enough and then i'm like i'm 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 done <laughs> yeah the only thing i do like high reps like that for is like banded work and that's only like maybe it's you know sometimes i do like 25 reps but yeah 50 reps is a lot i'm thinking back to um one of my mates luke herdigen he did the murph challenge and he did the murph challenge well the murph workout do you know what that is in crossfit I've heard of it before, but maybe just, yeah, for the listeners, what is what does it entail? Yeah, so, the, well, Murph is just a work. It's a workout in CrossFit, and oh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm pretty sure it's a 1.5K run, might be different, and then you come back in and you do 100 pull-ups, 200, no, it might be 100 push-ups, 200 pull-ups, 300 squats, and then another 1.5K run, and then you, yeah. It's huge. And you're doing it all with a 9K weight vest. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the only other time that I've done high reps was when I did that workout with Luke and he did it every day for 30 days. I did it once with him and I died. I walked the last 1.5Ks or whatever it was and it absolutely destroyed me. And that was so many reps. Like, I think it was, it was either 100 or 200 push-ups and then either 100 or 200 pull-ups and then the 300 squats with that weight vest. That was just insane. My legs were just full-on jelly. I think Jenny was walking with me. I was just like, I can't, I can't feel my legs. And then you have to run after that as well. Well, you're supposed to run. Yeah, I'm sure the, the athletes would run, but I couldn't run. I just 
just wanted to get through it. That's amazing. He did that every day for 30 days. He did it every single day. He is in, his capacity is some of the highest I've ever seen. Like he can just go and go and go. Absolute beast. I think this is one of the things where, you know, we're talking about it. If I did that, I'd be knocked out probably for, for the week. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the first time I did it, I only did half the volume to trial it out because I wanted to do it with him on the day. It was like a charity event when they did it at TMC. Mm-hmm. And on the day, my plan was to just do it half, like half the volume again and half the weight. And on the day, everyone was there and they're like, come on, you can do it. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I was going to just do half. And then was, <laughs> yeah. So I got kind of convinced to do the whole thing. And yeah, it was, it was one of those ones where it was about six or seven days of soreness. Have there ever been any parts of the practice or things that you've done that you've intentionally let go that you've been like, okay, like my time here is done or like, that's not for me. Hmm. Yeah, I guess like maybe some of the locomotion patterns for me, I've moved more into like flow work and I know that it kind of from the outside, I might look a little bit different, but yeah, some of the most basic patterns, it's maybe I still do that in a way, but it looks very different now than what it was at the start. Hmm. You know, like the, um, well, you do a lot of it as well. Um, and I watched some of your videos the other day. Awesome. Like you're just doing so many variations of all these patterns and it's just so awesome to see. Really cool tutorials as well. Like you should be really proud yeah. of it. Thank so you. Sick. Yeah, I feel like that's evolved for me and I'm doing uh, it's more contemporary dance style than the locomotion. I feel like that's been a big difference. Um, but I guess I haven't really let go of that completely. Oh, what's something else that I used to do that I don't do so much now? No, I feel like it's all kind of there to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I still practice a little bit of jujitsu. I still go surfing a lot. I still do handstands, mobility. It's all kind of there. Maybe it's changed shape a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything that I've that I used to practice that I've completely let go of. What's something for you? Like I'm interested to hear. Yeah, for me, maybe like the Olympic lifting, I used to be really heavily into that when I used to go to university gym and, you know, everyone else was kind of doing it. And I, I, yeah, used to really enjoy it as well. And um, that's not really a part of my practice at the moment. You know, I could return to it. Like maybe it's not like, you know, fully closed door. But at that time, that was like a bulk of my practice where it was all about, barbell lifting and olympic lifting and lifting as heavy as possible as well so i was really like quite invested in that and um yeah when i think about if i was to go back to more like open kinetic chain like lifting weights that sort of thing i'm actually like maybe if a different approach of how to do it maybe that would interest me but i'm actually interested in like things such as oh if i was to lift kettlebells or sandbags i I haven't tried that sort of area so i think that's where i'd be more gravitating towards to just explore and just to have that experience of what does that feel like because i feel like in that other sort of area i've I've felt that through my body Mm. yeah just feeling through something that i've let go of as well when I first started doing movement, I was doing a lot of yoga and that's kind of, that was one of the ways that I got into sort of this practice. I was doing a lot of yoga classes. I haven't really done any yoga recently and also acro as well, like partner acrobatics. Mm -hmm. I haven't really done much of that either. I'm not saying that I'll never bring those things back in, but yeah, that just came up just then and I haven't really done that in the, in the recent years. 
Yeah, because uh, you know, you can do so many things, but you can only do so many things throughout the week, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you kind of have to think about what's most available to you. I think throughout the week that you can just keep on going and enjoying as well. Because say for more like partner acro as well, you you need a partner all the yeah. time, and sometimes that can be um, trickier to arrange versus just doing acrobatics by yourself. Yeah. 100%. And something else that I've added in, well, I've added in a couple of things recently. I've started doing archery and also spearfishing. So there's two, and it's not, I guess they're not so movement related, but it's like lifestyle and, and you know, they definitely take time. Mm-hmm. So there are two other things that I've added in recently that um, just contribute to all the other things that I'm doing as well. But yeah, like you said, you can't do it all, but I'm definitely doing a lot and I'm really loving doing a lot. Spearfishing, that's awesome. I've done that once before when I went to Indonesia and uh, one of the local guys like brought me along in the boat and then we went down and and I caught two fish. It was unbelievable. So very, very tricky though. I spent a lot of time just just, like shooting things, trying to recover my my spear Um, and definitely something, yeah, if I lived more close to the water or had more in a warmer climate, I would I'd spend a lot more time and in, in trying to do. It's great. Yeah, I love it. It's just like, it's a whole other world down there. You just kind of get in there. It's been a bit murky recently with all the rain that's been happening in Newcastle. And I normally go with John Marsh or Cody, Cody Adams, the guy that does all our um, videography. You probably met him at some point. Yeah, I've met him once before. Yeah. And yeah, the first few times we went out super clear and it can just, it just, absolutely incredible getting in there and just seeing that there's this whole nother world down there that you just don't see. Cause I surf a lot, but I never see underneath the surface of mm. the water. And we saw like sharks and fish and eels and it's just so crazy. I just absolutely love it. Every time I get in the water and I kind of dive under and I'm yeah able to, yeah, just be exposed to that new environment. It's really cool. Mm. And one thing that's just popped into my mind, just backtracking with what we're talking about before, um, just previously i guess you know you own a gym you teach all these clients like on the internet you share a lot of stuff online like great sort of stuff do you ever feel like a lot of pressure to be in a certain way or to perform in a certain way say like i imagine when you were injured and you can't like even walk for a while like how yeah how did you sort of deal with that period and ongoing as well like do you do you feel like you have a certain sense of responsibility or obligation to to contribute or to show yourself in a certain way not so much to show myself in a certain way just like hold myself to a really high standard and one of the things that i really value is service so for me to be practicing then just leads me to serving which means like i'm just sharing what i'm doing and that's really helpful for other people to see to see my tutorials, to see what I'm practicing, me giving tips, sending messages. Uh, people ask me questions. I get back to them, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's more about like the, who I'm being and I'm not really holding myself to like um, or beating myself up that I can't do particular things if I'm injured. I'm always looking to serve the best way that I can and to do everything that I can as well. So I'm, yeah, if I do get injured, I always know that there's other things that I can be doing that can contribute to my friends, um, you know, our members, all that stuff. I've just got so much to give and I just want to give it all the time. 
Mm. So for me, it just comes really natural to do that. And for me to share, it's like I can, I flicked through my Instagram the other day, actually. I was with someone, might have been Damo. I'm just flicking through and I'm just looking at like stories, um, oh, sorry, posts from like 12 months ago. And I'm like, oh, I forgot we did that. And it's just really cool to flip back through and see all the amazing moments that we've had both at TMC and, and traveling and out and about. So I really find that it's super helpful as well just to, to kind of put it out there. It might land with someone with a particular post or an email that I put out. And we've been getting a lot of responses from the emails, which has been great. And, but yeah, this is just something happened that recently I can just flick through and just, you know, just be reminded of all the amazing memories and experiences and adventures that I've been on. And with this idea of service, like, is this something that has become very, like, you've become very aware of and intentional um, with, or like, how did this sort of uh, mindset get cultivated over the years? Yeah, I think it's always been with me and not knowing it, but it's it's been really apparent in the recent months because I've been working with Spiritual Fight Club. And I know that you took one of their workshops a little while back. Uh, I think it was a different name back then, but they're, mm. they're rebranded to Spiritual Fight Club. And I've been doing some facilitations. I've been facilitating men and helping them through some trauma and yeah, just everything in their lives, like anything that's coming up, I'm able to go in there and help facilitate them. And it's just really been amazing being a part of that journey to really uncover who I am in this world and also, yeah, what I'm here to do as well. And one of their values is service. So I think over the, over the last, say, six to 12 months, they've put a really big emphasis on that. And it's just made me aware of where how I've been living, you know, the last few years by running TMC, by being the person that I am, that it's, that's, I'm kind of that through and through. Like I just have always been that and I'm just really aware of it now. Mm. Yeah. It's really nice because, you know, sometimes when you're also practicing and if you're practicing alone as well, the questions do come up, you know, like, well, why why am I practicing? You know, is this just all for me? Or should I be feeling bad if it's just all for me as well or like for you and I where we share a lot you've got this other desire as well because then you do see like the benefit for other people but yeah sometimes I still get the questions especially when you're just like practicing alone you're like oh what what is this all for (laughs) I think it's really cool to ask those questions and um, yeah part of the work that they teach is like by you communicating with the parts of you and yeah so for you with that that's like a voice in your head it's like a part of you that's questioning what you're doing and I think it's really good to question what you're doing and asking why all the time but then actually really having the conversation with that part to understand you know why why is that part of you saying that and what's actually going on there because there could be a reason behind it but i think asking why a bunch of times is always it's always a good um good avenue to go down a good rabbit hole to dive into yeah definitely and um i'm really like inspired by how you not only concentrate on the physical development side of things but this is obviously within the whole mental emotional scape that i'm guessing like you've also invested quite a lot of time in those practices around understanding yourself and developing yourself in that way. Definitely. And, and they've been really helpful. We're a part of this group at the moment, these facilitators, and there's a larger group, the brotherhood. And 
yeah, I'm able to share in that group and learn from all these guys who are further along with the work than what I am. And, and they can recognize certain um, things within myself that I might not be aware of. And I'm now starting to sort of see some traits and things like that in other people. And it's really nice to, um, to not, I can only see them because I've seen them in myself. Mm-hmm. So these things will come up, whether it's like, they call them misters. So it's like Mr. Nervous or Mr. Judgment or Mr. Doubt. And if I see that in someone else now, I'm able to just be like, hey, like that's just your Mr. Judgment, like, well, that's your judgment. Um, and we're able to kind of work through that and they can then have a conversation with that part of them and see where that's actually coming from. Um, yeah, because some of these things can be having an impact on your life if you're not living from a place of, of from your gut and speaking from that place and living from that place there's potentially all these other things like all these different misters and stuff that might be potentially like holding you back or like in the driver's seat of your life. Say if it's like Mr. Nervous is really big part of your life and it stops you from doing certain things that are really going to help you and your family and things like that, then it's probably time to have a conversation with that part of you and, and really find out what's going on there. So yeah, the work has just been absolutely amazing journey to be on and it's a continued journey as well. And it's just really nice to have such a great support network there with the guys that are both doing the work with us and also, yeah, those people that are a little bit further ahead to give us some guidance. Always like having a mentor mm. and some teachers in all areas. Yeah. And has there been has there been one particular shift maybe that you could share with us that you've recognized, you know, a certain mister that continually keeps on coming up where now because you've recognized you've changed course in how you act yeah there's yeah there's been a lot um the biggest one that i can think of is yeah my teen so there's a part of me that's just like my teen and yeah i was kind of living my life a lot from that place and it shows up in a lot of areas of my life where i'm not acting as like a king or an adult but actually it's like a really teenage behavior and that can have an impact on certain people in my life. If I'm acting as a teen in my relationship with Jenny, Jenny doesn't want to be with a teenager. She's 30 weeks pregnant. She wants a man. She wants a king who's going to take responsibility and be there for her so she can like love and trust that person. Um, But if those parts of me are coming up and I'm demonstrating and allowing my teen to, to kind of run the show and carry on with certain behaviors then it has an impact on not only myself and my own um, like inner realm, but also it has an impact on the external as well. It has an impact on every area of my life. So mm. that would be one of the bigger ones. Yeah. And it's always like so confronting sometimes when you recognize these parts of yourselves, because they're, they're parts of yourself, right? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, uh, well, you, yeah. you really have to change and um, or just like have the power to make a different choice. Right. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't have to change. That's, that's not it. Yeah. It's, it's, you've always got a choice and that's one of the lessons with inside that I've learned from work as well. It's like, we've always got a choice and it's like, do you choose to be that um, character, that man of character, the the king, or do you choose to be a little boy or a a teenager? And there's going to be all these different things that might get in the way of you doing that. And then that's where the work comes in and you communicate with those parts and find out why they are there. And then you just take responsibility for everything that's going on in your life. Hmm. And, you know, you're going to become a dad. 
you have recently become a husband as well. You yeah. run TMC. So yeah, a lot of responsibility where you have to show up, right? And then be be the be there for people, right? To to serve. And um, I think this is a good segue to just jump to actually TMC. And maybe you know we can chat a little bit about that at the moment. So yeah, what's on the horizon for for TMC at the moment? What what are you guys concentrating, working on at the moment? Cool. Yeah. So COVID threw a massive spanner in the works for TMC. We were really building some momentum and we, we had the most amount of members we've ever had before the first lockdown. And then that took a bit of a hit and we started to build back up when, once we were allowed to start last year. And then we've been locked down now for three months. So that really had an impact because we were building up and I was all like coming up with these ideas to open up another facility, maybe one in Melbourne or one in Sydney or something like that. But because of the lockdowns and because of the restrictions and everything that happened, like opening a facility doesn't seem like the best idea because throughout this last lockdown, we were paying rent the whole time and not using the facility. Hmm. And we really struggled through that. And, and without the, the government's assistance, I don't know if TMC would still, like we would still be here to some capacity, but we might've lost the building. Like we might've lost the facility and, and all these things, but it worked out. We really put the time and effort in to show the members that we were there for them and created some Zoom classes and just really made it work. Uh, we did some outdoor sessions as well. So it's nice that we've got the space back up and running, but we're also limited as well because there's a few of our, our members can't come back until the government allows them, like the 15th of December or whatever it is. So we've still got some people that can't come back and there's some people that have started back up classes. So at the moment, it feels kind of split and we're doing our best to make sure that both, um, you know, the people that can come back now, people that can't just yet uh, feel like, they've got our support because they really do have our support. And we're just trying to make that work. And that's going to be nice to kind of transition past that 15th of December where the restrictions get dropped and, and we can kind of open up to roughly to what we had before. Uh, we've made a few changes over the lockdown as well. We've got a new system where if a person signs up, normally they could just come in or back in the day, they could just come in and take a class. But what we found with the classes, like sometimes they're quite complex if you think about a straight arm session where there's front levers or skin the cats or planche progressions or press to handstand, there's just a lot of progressions that you would teach an individual for those, those elements. And those people could come in and just get really lost. And then the teacher would be giving that student a lot of time and, mm -hmm. and attention. And then he would forget about the rest of the class or she would forget about the rest of the class. So what we've done now is created a structure where they sign up, they come and get a progression session. So I run them through a hour session where I teach them all the progressions. We find out where they're at. We give them, uh, we get take photos of all of their mobility elements. We test six of them. And then they've got this kind of like a baseline. They know where they're at. Mm -hmm. And then they also know how to progress to the next level and how to regress. So that's been a really good change in our structure and our system of TMC that we're really proud of. And we think that it's going to, well, we know it's going to work really well. It's been working for the last couple of weeks and it's just a, it's just so much smoother. And I think that person, that new member that's coming in, getting that attention straight, straight out of the gate, they're going to understand what they're doing a lot better. They're going to have more confidence leading into the classes. They're going to make better progress as well. So we're really proud of that. 
some other changes that have been happening as well. We have just been doing a lot of private sessions. We did a workshop today, just all the stuff that we were doing before, but now we're just starting to slowly ramp it back up as those restrictions ease. And any workshops upcoming that you may be hosting at TMC? Uh, yeah, we've actually... What we're talking about before, this is interesting, you know, talking about the handstand, how it was a 15-minute session and you really saw some great progress. What we've done in the past, we've done two of these now, it's called the handstand path. And we've got a workshop at the start, then they do eight weeks of programming with level one to four. So there's four different programs and in the workshop, we'll tell them which level to do. So they'll work on that program, which is only like 20 minute session. Like it's pretty short. And it's like, we're trying to get them to do every, every day, nice and consistent. In the middle, they do a, like a catch up session. And then at the end, we do a final kind of check-in. And we've seen over time from those two workshops and those eight weeks, just amazing results from people doing handstands. So we want to do something similar for the muscle up. So we're going to call it the muscle up path. And we're going to do a workshop to teach them progressions, give them a program. And as a group, they'll kind of work through it. And then they'll be catch up. And then the final kind of testing session. And this is for people that are working towards a muscle up. Maybe they don't quite have the strength. We're going to help them build the strength. Maybe they don't have the technique. We'll help them build the technique, work them towards the muscle up. Not saying they'll get it in eight weeks, depending on where they're at. If they're really close, for sure. So yeah, that's that's another workshop that we've got planned. And, and that structure, I feel, is going to carry over to other areas of the movement practice. I just feel there's something in that, that eight weeks, the structure that we've created, it just worked really well, created a almost like a subcategory or subgroup with inside TMC, the handstanders. Like they got the handstand path group with inside TMC and yeah, it was just awesome walking into the space and after doing those workshops and knowing that there's about 20 people or so doing the handstand path, I'd walk in and, and in open gym, there's like all these people on the wall doing all the drills. And I'm nice. like, yes, this is what I want. I want to walk into the space and, and see people taking responsibility and ownership of their own practice. And that's where the, the progress happens. Progress doesn't happen when you, when you just walk into class and expect to be told everything what to do. It's like that individual, we teach this as well. It's like becoming a leader of your own life and in your own practice and taking responsibility for the goals that you might have. And some of these people want to do the muscle up. So we've just kind of laid out that same structure. And I think it's starting in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be really cool. Awesome. And um, how about the app? I know you've you know been building yep. this whole new app as well. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so the apps, the other thing, that's probably the last sort of um, new element that we've added in. And the app, we originally designed it for classes that were going to replicate what we're doing at TMC. It's been a bit weird recently because we've had the start back up after lockdown and the shutdown. But what we've got on there at the moment is six different programs, movement programs. Each one of those programs, if you zoom in, goes for four-week blocks. And there's six days worth of training. And it's like Mondays, bent arm, straight arm, legs, something like that. And all the programs are slightly different, working on similar elements. And that will replicate what we're doing in class. So it is new program starting up next week, which is going to be movement program number four. So on Monday, they'll be doing the same class that you would do on the app. Hmm. The same class at TMC would be done on the app. And we're going to run that for four weeks and then it will change. 
And then we're just slowly starting to add other programs onto there. The app's really awesome. It's it's by Tribe Fitness and so happy with the way that it's structured and there's built-in timers and it just looks really neat and tidy. I'm just so happy with it. We've got a flow program, a handstand program and some shorter workouts on there at the moment, but that's going to progress. We're going to just keep adding programs to it because it's just, it's such a great idea. And for people that are outside of Newcastle that want to do what we're doing at the Movement Collective, it's just, it's the perfect opportunity for that to happen. Awesome. So yeah, it sounds like the class experience, but you know, you can, you can try that without actually having to, to go there. And um, yeah. yeah, I always wonder with um, you, what have you experienced with uh, people coming to TMC or like online specifically, like um, with interest from people who might not be in overseas, uh, not be here in Australia, but from overseas, is there, yeah, is there a lot of people interested in the work that you're doing and inquiring all the time? Yeah, for sure. What we get mostly on the TMC page and also my page as well, like on Instagram, is people asking if there's something like what we do where they live. And we've heard that from every city in the world, I'm pretty sure. So we just get messages all the time and it's like, I live here, you know, I live in Spain and do you have anything that's, you know, suitable for me and similar to TMC or heaps of messages from the States and, yeah, just all over. So it's really cool that people are seeing what we're doing and are interested in, in starting their movement practice. And we normally guide them to a certain gym that we know, like I know a few gyms around the world and I'll normally guide them in a direction. Sometimes I don't know, you know, the area might be quite remote or I don't really know that, that space. And I normally just give them the, the ideas around like find a capoeira studio or do some jujitsu, go to a gymnastics class and, you know, just get started if there's not a specific movement gym in their area, just do something. And then maybe you can kind of pick a few of those elements to create your own practice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I often think like, you know, still we're on the cusp of just the beginning of the whole movement type of practice and everyone's got a different approach as well, but you know, with the gym starting up now, just at the very, very beginning. Right. And I think for a lot of people, especially out in wherever they still don't have the chance to go to. And I mean, for what you've created there is amazing. Like a, a TMC and uh, to go there day in day out. And um, yeah, I've been thinking recently, maybe there should be like some sort of map or something to help guide people where maybe some of these, these places are, because I get the questions as well. And people are like, ah, oh, you know, other than obviously you can always go the online route. Sometimes you can't replicate just being some place in, in person as well. So, you know, that, that would be pretty cool. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I did see something years ago, must've been like five years ago on the, the movement culture page, someone had created that like a world map and just like pinpointed all these different um, movement gyms and stuff like that around the world. So oh, I really feel like that exists or it did exist, but yeah, it's a great idea. All right. Well, should dig around for that one. Yeah, if, no, if, that, if that already exists, but um, I, we, we certainly can probably provide a lot of guidance around in Australia if any, anyone is interested, oh, yeah. but yeah, definitely. Well, 
I mean, now that borders are opening up as well, like you ever thought about doing any, you know, sort of touring workshops, bringing the TMC experience on the road? Yeah, I'd love to do that. It's it's something that we would really love to do. Another thing that we've been toying with is some sort of teacher training. So teacher, teaching, yeah, basically PTs, how to become movement teachers and using our system and our method that we've created. I feel like we've got a few refinement um, pieces to do and creating a few more systems around what we've got. It feels like it's just constantly changing. Mm. And that's okay. I, I think that's that's always going to be the way that we're constantly changing and refining the way that we're teaching, the way that we're onboarding, the exercises we use. So I think that yeah, we just probably need to just put some put pen to paper and just start planning out the teacher training and and also the workshop too. Like that can be done like that. Like if if I was to get an invite from a gym, and I've done it before, I've been down to you know certain gyms and travelled up the coast to teach workshops. Uh, I would love to do that. So, yeah, we'd have to put that on the on the cards and maybe put it out there to, uh, yeah, to other gym owners and get around and teach them workshops. That'd be awesome. Well, maybe this is the call if anyone's interested. You yeah, know, hit me up. If you, if you want to get Rudd right there or the TMC guys, just uh, send a message. And I guess on that note, you know, if they did want to reach out to you and, um, you know, make contact, what do you prefer? Uh, yeah, message on Instagram is probably good. If you've got Instagram, Rod J. Cooper, or you can send me an email, rod at themovementcollective.net. That'd be the, the two easiest, I'd say. Awesome, Rod. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the Passive Hang, finally, got you. And, yeah. you know, I feel like I could just keep on talking with you for, uh, you know, another couple of hours as well. So, you know, maybe there might be a round two as well, you know, and we can decide on some other topics. It's always a pleasure to, you know, chat, share perspectives. And I hope sometime in the near future, we can actually um, practice together in person as well. That would be really cool. Yeah. Like I said before, I'm just really stoked and yeah, I want to honor you for the, doing the work that you've been doing with the podcast and yeah, teaching and the tutorials, like it just looks like your practice is going through the roof, just reaching like new levels all the time. And and thank you so much for sharing it and supporting other people in their practice. I think it's just so helpful. And yeah, you're a big inspiration for me. Thanks guys for joining all the way to the very end. Thanks to Rod for jumping on to the podcast. Really was looking forward to that for a very long time. If you guys ever get a chance uh, ever in the area in Newcastle or come to Australia, then the Movement Collective is definitely a gym you want to check out. Rod is definitely a person you want to connect with as well. So he's very friendly. Remember, you can always reach out. Just have a chat with him. He always gets back to you. Otherwise, there were some great ideas and interesting ideas from a real practitioner that hopefully can help you with how you navigate your own practice. I also like that idea of having a round table of having people discuss around a commonly desired skill. So maybe look out for that in the near future. All right, guys. Well, thanks once again for sticking around, listening to the Passive Hang, supporting the Passive Hang. Remember, if you have any questions or want to reach out, you can find me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp, at P-H-A-O-N-P, or on thepassivehang.com. All right, guys, that's it for today. I'll see you in the next episode.